Okay, so we listened to our feedback, and one of the things, one of the feedback things we got was it takes way too long from the beginning of the show to get to the content. So we're going to switch it up. So we're going to jump right in with the first question. So Stacy, the phrase outputs versus outcomes seems to be all the rage in the nonprofit world today, with a lot of emphasis being placed on take, talking about outcomes instead of outputs. What is the difference between an output and an outcome, and why should it matter for a nonprofit? Great question. So outputs are the activities, the services an organization does. So if you think about, um, you know, like a soup kitchen or something, right, the meals served by a soup kitchen would be an example of an output. Um, An outcome would be the observable effects of that output or that activity you did, right? So in, in the case of a soup kitchen, it would be meals served by the soup kitchen reduce hunger in the population being served, right? So it would it takes it a step further. Um, and, you know, in the kind of funding world these days, there's also, there's, you know, like we, anyone who's reading, who's listening to us and hears like, okay, inputs, outputs, outcomes, impact. It's, it's total logic model, right? Total logic <laughs> yeah. model format. But an impact is obviously the hardest because that's sort of the longer term, like, okay, are, are you completely um, reducing, reducing hunger and sort of making that mark on the community? But you know, outcomes, I think, at least, Andy, from what I'm seeing out there, and I think it's kind of the way of the funders these days, you're not able to survive just on the outputs anymore, right? Just on the little list of here's here's the how of what we do. Like, here's how we do what we do. Here's the list of activities we do. That's no longer enough for funders. They're like, okay, what's the return on our investment? Um, and it's more than just the list of activities. So it's there's got to be some sort of a measurement um, that's kind of showing how you're moving the dial. Yeah, so the one of the things that we hear a lot or I've read a lot is theory of change. Mm-hmm. So when you're coming up with your nonprofit idea to begin with, you need to identify what your theory of change is. So you're going to do something, which is the outputs, and then yeah. there's going to be an outcome. Right. So that's the that's the difference is what the final piece in. Honestly, I think, you know, a lot of people if you were to ask them, they probably wouldn't be able to identify what the what the outcomes for a lot of nonprofits are. Yeah. Um, they they think about what the outputs are. And, you know, we always go back to the poor old food bank, right? Yeah. Um, pick on yeah. the big guy. Yeah. The, but the food bank, like they, they talk about how many meals they distribute and that like, and, and food banks across the country do that. That's just not our, this is not our two Nevada food banks, but they'll, they'll talk about how many meals we distributed and how efficient they are at distributing meals. But what they're, you know, the, once you get to the actual outcome, you're really talking about reducing the amount of hunger. And they're probably talking about that too. It's just a more complicated marketing conversation to have about like, this is why people are hungry in Southern Nevada or Northern Nevada. And this is why they get food where they get food. And you know, it gets really complicated and ugly and it doesn't yeah. make a super good tagline. That's for sure. Yeah. And I, I think a little bit about for those who've, uh, you know, watched the Simon Sinek video, the why, right? Uh-huh. What's your why? And I think if more organizations were able to sort of start or watch that video and say, what's our why? Like, ultimately, what are we trying to get to? and then work backwards from that. Um, it's a more powerful, compelling story too, because no offense, but like, I don't care really all the details of how you do something, right? I don't need the whole list of, okay, here's our list of activities of what we did. I mean, sure, that helps inform a bit, but it's not, I'm like, all right, so what? So I think there's this kind of, so what factor we have to take into consideration yeah. when we're, whether it's writing a proposal or a grant. And I think this question particularly applies to grants and, and I feel a little bit like for the the smaller or, or kind of grassroots, just startup nonprofits listening, it's tough, right? Because outcomes take more time to measure. Like you can easily rattle off activities or services you're providing, but outcomes, 
take a little more time to actually kind of spend the time gathering, analyzing the data, sharing the outcomes. And so I also encourage people like maybe you can find, if you don't have those in place right now, I mean, put a system to see if you can start, you know, building those, but perhaps there's, um, there's probably other research that's been done on whatever topic or mission you have that they do have outcomes of what XYZ is, you know, what you've done. So, oh, how does, you know, reading help impact graduation rates or whatever the case is? There's probably some study or research that's been done that if you don't have that outcome yet for your organization, you can point that uh, to that other research. Yeah. And you should know that. And I think you said something, you said measurement, which reminded me, and I don't know who said it, someone famous said that, that you actually tend to work on the things that you're measuring. Yeah. So if you're measuring your outputs, if that's what your that's what shows up on the reports you bring back to the board, that's what your employees are being graded on, that kind of stuff. If that's that's where you're you're paying most of your attention, then you're going to actually work on getting those outputs more and more and more and you may lose sight of the outcomes. Right. And and the measurement part for for outcomes sometimes is impossible. Yeah. I mean, there's so many different pieces in play. There are different like all kinds of things that are happening that may or may not be affecting what the actual outcome is. I mean, think about something like, I mean, even literacy, right. like, like you can provide all the books to the people in the world. And, and that is absolutely an important piece of literacy, but you know that there are so many other elements of play at play that a nonprofit may have no control over. Absolutely. So you have to understand, you know, you, when you look at it, that, that, that may be providing a piece of one thing that that person needs. And that when you talk about what the final outcomes are, um, it gets it gets really really hard to do. Uh, we know go back to food banks again. They one of the things that they they are able to do is they say like one dollar equals three meals, right? right? So they're they're connecting that donor dollar with the actual. It's an output. The yeah. Three, the three meals is an output. Yeah. Um, but it's easy to imagine what the outcome is. The outcome yeah. is somebody eats it and they're that needed it and they they're full. Um, yeah. So it's it's simpler. When you get into more complicated nonprofits that are not as simple, that that connection right. is not as simple. So say you're you're into saving like big chunks of desert right? because there's species on that chunk of desert that only lives there. Yeah. And, and so when you're talking to donors, it's really hard to say like $1 equals what? Exactly. Like $1 equals, you know, one, one trillionth of a butterfly right. species or something right. like that. And it gets really, really complicated. So you actually understanding how to communicate that with the people that you're talking about, you know, understanding what the actual outcome is and being right. able to communicate the outcome is a lot more effective than talking about the output in those, in those complicated cases. You think about it also with like healthcare organizations and you go, okay, so some have a really easy, like if depending on what they do, right. If there's research or if there's, Oh, we found a cure or we, we create, there's this new medical device that, you know, we're able to implement. They have a direct outcome to the dollars spent, but you think about someone that's more like the social services, soft services for maybe the patients going through hard times, right? Providing right. them counseling or providing them other support for their family. And you think about some of that and you go, that's hard to measure because that's more of a personal, did you help someone's mental state, right? Which is only going to be able to be measured by that that client or that beneficiary reporting at the beginning, I was really stressed out or on the verge of divorce because of all these health issues going on in our family. And right. now I'm in a better place. So that's really hard to measure too. So it's some of these things, right? Yeah, you can't. Yeah. I mean, and, and even what are you going to say? Like when you look at it, you're like, you know, providing this service to this person gave them a 0 0.001 right. better chance of survival right. of whatever they have. Right. Yeah. It's, it's, that's not compelling, but talking about the reason you're doing it and you know, the reason somebody wants to get into that space is, is more compelling, I think. Nonprofit governance. Nonprofit answers. Nonprofit board. Nonprofit management. Nonprofit marketing. Nonprofit resources. 
Community Alliance for Nevada Nonprofits presents Nonprofit Everything, the podcast about everything nonprofit, with your host, Andy Shurick and Stacy Wedding. Welcome. Thank you for joining us for another episode of Nonprofit Everything. I am here with my fabulous co-host, Andy Shurick, and uh, we're excited to cover today's episode with you. A special thanks to Alliance for Nevada Nonprofits for uh, making this possible. And as always, we love your questions. We love it when you share uh, you know, the podcast with your friends, your colleagues. That's my challenge to you this week. Find one friend, one colleague who could benefit from this podcast and share it. And maybe a secondary kind of request is to submit your question. Go to nonprofiteverything.com, shoot us your question. The title of the last episode was Drunk at the Gala, and I was disappointed that there wasn't an actual Drunk at the Gala question. (laughs) Man, Andy, we blew it. Anyways, I guess this isn't really a question, but I want to hear a good story. First of all, thank you so much for feedback. We love feedback. If you have something that you want to tell us that isn't (laughs) this this question, you just want to say, hey, I've got something to tell you, please do, because we do read them all. And if it's something this good, we will put it on air. Absolutely. So... You're, you're right. We teased you with the drunk at the gala. We did say drunk at the gala during the episode. It wasn't something we just made up to like suck you in. Like, you know. <laughs> Although that was part of it. <laughs> let's let's, uh, yeah, be, let's honest be honest here. It's going to make you want to read it. Okay. So let's see. Drunk at the gala. So uh, for a while there, I know that um, lots of organizations were doing those sort of outdoor tasting oh, events. They're like all the rage. Are. Yeah. They're, I know. They're tired. Yeah. I, know, I think they're yeah. tired now. Um, but yeah, there's like lots of free alcohol and that kind of stuff. And, and I think every single one of those I've ever been to, somebody's fallen into the pool. If there's a pool there, <laughs> I know that's happened a, a couple of dozen times. And then the other ones that I could think of, um, certainly on a sort of positive drunk at the gala, um, I was at one gala event and I don't go to gala events. I really don't like them. But this, <laughs> so this was a while ago and there was a table of attorneys who got wasted and bid up a labradoodle to like some absurd number of dollars, like $27,000 or something for a stupid puppy. Oh boy. Um, so, so I guess that would be a positive drunk at the gala story. I have a good fundraising kind of <laughs> drunk at the gala sort of story. It wasn't like the formal sit down gala, but there was an organization that, and it was, it was, it raised a ton of money, but the gentleman who opened up his home, for this kind of gala event for this nonprofit. Basically, he served on the board and he ended up challenging. He got the executive director and a few of his buddies and he said, I'm going to make an announcement about like, I will basically like give another $10,000 for everyone who jumps in the pool in your suit. So like it was an intentional thing. And so then it made it like this whole kind of peer pressure thing. And the executive director, poor guy was like, oh, you're kidding me, right? Like, I, but I, how can I not do this for my organization? So you have all these like men, I don't think any women did it, right? All these men jumping into the pool. And I think they raised an extra 50 grand because five people did it. And I was like, wow, that's creative fundraising. That's pretty creative fundraising. So, okay, so if I actually, let me pivot it back because I feel like this podcast needs to be a little bit educational. Right? So let me pivot it back. One of the things that we struggled with with, we've struggled with before um, in organizations is when like you're putting together a policy about employee behavior. And one of the things that always comes up is like, what happens if you are drunk at work? 
can you drink alcohol while you're working? And the answer in most organizations is probably not. That's not a super good idea. Um, so let's, you know, especially like if you have people driving around, you don't yeah. want people, you don't want to get people drunk and right. crash, right? Um, but there's always that challenge as you get to the fundraising team and they're like, well, if I'm at an evening event with people and somebody buys a bottle of wine, do right. I have to look like a moron and be like, no, no, I can't exactly. drink any wine yeah. because it's not in my employee policy. Like, is that, is that going to be a cultural problem that's going to like make the donor think that like you're not as cool as they are. Right, and you're right. the, you know, what's <laughs> right. the, I you're don't not know what participating, the actual, right? Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's, it's awkward. You know, Hey, let me get a bottle of wine. You're like, no, no, it's no, okay. No. That's an yeah. awkward situation. You, you would normally go. Yeah. Okay. That sounds good. Um, so, so that was always something we struggled with is like, what do we put into the policy to say, you know, generally like you shouldn't drink at work, <laughs> right. but there are instances where it may be, it may happen. Um, and at the same time, you don't want to be on the hook for somebody who just can't handle an open bar at a gala event, an employee that, that just is not paying attention and has six martinis. Right. Right. I've seen more problem. I mean, it's an interesting dilemma, right? Because I've also seen, I, I, I feel like in general, hopefully most employees kind of get that that's probably not appropriate. I, I'm sure there's exceptions to that, but I think where you run into sometimes a bigger issue is you have board members who may be representing you on stage, right? And they're representing your organization and they've either, you know, had their table and they're having fun. I know one particular board member that is a nervous wreck speaking. So always has kind of a few drinks to relax, to get on stage, (laughs) right? But now you've got this board member up there that isn't quite with it. You can tell. And like, even to the point where I've heard the board member, like slur their words a bit. And you're like, this is really not good. So I think beyond just even that employee kind of policy, you've got to bring that up at like, but not telling your board members they can't drink, but sort of talking about, you know, again, use our, our podcast examples, use like other examples, right. To sort of bring up this discussion because yeah. then at least it's, you're sort of trying to be proactive about it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Put the podcast in the policy. Exactly. Right? So, okay. So I got one final story and I'm probably going to get the story wrong, but if I remember, I think it was Truman Capote. So Truman Capote used to have, he's legendary for these awesome parties that we would have. And he would always, the entire party, he would be holding a martini that had three olives in it, like on a stick with three olives in it. This is here in his house. And he's holding a martini and he drinks this martini and people would count and he would have like 15 or 20 martinis a night. And what they didn't realize is that because it was his house and it was his staff that was serving, he said, I want you, every time this glass is empty, I want you to bring me another martini glass full of water with three olives. Interesting. So he knew it was, it had three olives in it. So he knew it was water. Yes. And he could drink all he wanted all night and nobody would sniff his drink to see if it Interesting. was real. So, so if you feel uncomfortable that you are not, you know, if, if you're not carrying a drink around, you know, and you can't, if you're like me and you can't, if you're holding a drink, you can't not drink it. Right. Like I can't right. carry a full <laughs> glass of something exactly. around and not constantly exactly. sip on it. But if you're, if that's your problem, like, Go over, talk to the bartender and ask for a martini glass full of water with a couple of olives in it or what a blue cheese chunk or whatever, and just sip that. And then nobody knows that you're not like drinking some awesome, crazy cocktail. That, I like that and idea. And you're not going to get wasted. You know what, though? I like that idea. I also don't like the idea, though, that I still think there is a perception issue. So that feeds into like, so, right, there's one thing to, okay, you, you 
got us a bottle of wine for our table, right? And I'm going to have you pour me a glass of wine and maybe I'm going to have one sip out of it just so I can make you feel better because But if you don't I'm drink it, they'll think that you didn't like it, you know? Exactly. So, right, <laughs> exactly. That's true. But then you get busy, right? Or you find a way. But but I also think Spill people are judging, right? Like, oh, oh oops, oops. Yeah. <laughs> oh, how did that happen? Oh my. Anyway, um, but, but I also think like, what about the perception, right? Because if I'm sitting there and let's say, hopefully someone's not counting how many drinks you have, but if... <laughs> But think about that yeah. story, right? Like, oh, wow, that person's had like how many? And wow, what a tolerance they have. They're on their 15th martini <laughs> and they're still doing really good. So I don't know. I think overall, we just have to be careful. So right? don't, don't be like Dream and Capote. <laughs> don't do that. Writing a grant report for the first time ever, the funder provided no direction at all. Help! What should I include? Oh, that's such a great position to be in. <laughs> it really is. That's like the best news ever. Because yeah. usually, like the worst thing you can get is when you're writing a grant report and the funder has given you something that's very specific to the budget and they want to know the outcomes written in a very specific way because then you're restricted. And oh, God forbid they say like, and it has to be less than one page or something really, oh, really yes. limiting. Because what you've been given is the opportunity to showcase like how awesome your organization is and how grateful you are to this to this funder for giving you the opportunity to do your to do your mission. So so this, you know. I, I would not go for a template or some kind of like, you know, these are the things that need to be included. I would use your imagination and say, if I were trying to convince that this person that they made the best decision by giving us this money, what kinds of things would I want to include? Mm-hmm. Um, and it's going to be it's going to be pictures. Yes. It's going to, you know, because some of, you know, you've seen, you've seen grant reports like, you know, do not Boring. include any pictures, yeah. right? Yeah. Some of them are. Yeah. Because they're yeah, because they're restrictive. Yeah. Because yeah. they have somebody whose job it is to look at them. Ugh. Right. Yeah. So this is your opportunity to really sell, to really, to talk about all the great things that your organization is doing and to show that how you have taken the, the, the resources that they've given you and deployed them in the way to reach the largest number of people or to make the biggest impact. It's a great example, I think, of stewardship that is another cult is stewardship that's leading to cultivation, right? It's 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 sort of both it's like the double package in one, right? Yeah. You're stewarding, you're providing the report or you know, sort of the opportunity to share your narrative, and then you're also getting them excited because you, you put that nice warm format. You put the testimonial or the story about that one individual you helped in that great picture of them in this. I mean oh, this is just like a grant writer's dream, right? Yeah. To have this kind of flexibility. So use that to your advantage. And I'd also say, take your original grant application and make sure as you're doing some of your, you know, report out, right? That you're referring to that and you're making sure that some of the key questions there are sort of d- included in your narrative recap in this, right? So so if the budget was an important part, maybe there's a small little chart that shows budget to actual, or if, you know, you said you were going to serve 100 people, then you're making sure you, you share that. So I think you've got to have some of the more formal or sort of business uh, piece of this. But yes, make this a warm, loving, like, oh, the donor can't wait to, to open it. My board wants me to create an advisory council slash board. What are the best ideas for expectations for this group? So first and foremost, 
please don't call it an advisory board. <laughs> okay. And here's here's the thinking behind this. And a lot of groups, right, call this body an advisory board. Then the term board, believe it or not, implies more authority than what this group has. And people can get confused quickly and forget that they don't have decision-making authority. They don't have voting authority, right, of, of some of the higher issues of the organization. So I am a huge believer, call it what you want, but do not put board on the end of it. You have one board, it's your governing board, period, end of story. So that's my first thing with this, right? Um, obviously, I have strong feelings about it. <laughs> I'm glad I asked you this question. <laughs> I'm like, woo, I just, woo, that lit a fire in me. Anyway, um, I also think that I wish, I mean, to answer this question, I, I have, of course, other questions, but I want to know what is the purpose of this advisory group because it doesn't say. And so it's very hard to answer best ideas for expectations. I mean, so here's the thing. You know, I've seen groups that are more of a fundraising advisory council or they're more there for, you know, they they can't maybe meet the board give or get um, requirement, but they are put on the advisory council because they still have some connections and some money to give. And so they're really more as like an extension of kind of another body of people who can be ambassadors and fundraisers. I've seen others where it's truly about we need someone who can kind of, you know, like I've heard people do like a millennial advisory group because they want to understand the thinking of that generation or a programmatic advisory group to help inform on the ground work going on, you know, from that organization. So I think it's, it's about really making sure you have a clear charter and a clear, like, you know, one pager, here's what this group, what the purpose is being really clear on that. Then here's the thing. Don't, whatever you do, I think groups all the time just don't know what to do with people that don't fit into a nice box that already exists in the organization. Like, oh, you can't put them as a board member or they're not a staff member. Oh, so let's create an advisory board. So, or advisory council, whatever. So I think the thing with that is to think about not only what is the purpose of this, but but really being clear about how you're going to utilize these people and how you're going to make that ask. Because so many people I've talked to, I'll say, oh, I saw you're on the advisory council of such and such organization. And they're like, I am, <laughs> right? They are. They don't even know it because the organization just plunked them there and put their name on the website, right? And they don't even know. So yeah. I'm like, don't do that. Like, if you're going to, if you're going to create this whole extra body of people, Engage them in some way. I don't know if that's two times a year, four times a year. That's really warranted based on what you need this group to accomplish. So, so I have a question. What would be a good reason to set up uh, some sort of external committee of people that aren't a board? Like, why would you even want to do it? I think it's, I mean, I think one big reason is you have additional people that can be resources to you in some way, whether it is financially, whether it is just knowing about the organization. I mean, if you think about it, right, you don't want an unmanageable size of a governing board. And an advisory council can be as large as you want it if you, you know, there's no sort of limitations to that. And you've got now this whole other extra body of people out there that know your organization, know your mission, and in some way can speak to it. So I think just from a awareness and like, you know, that just kind of raising awareness and having other people out there who are sort of singing your song. It's great. Um, But I also go, this is a whole extra body of people you've got to manage. So, I mean, it's hard enough for executive directors to be, you know, working side by side and managing their board. Then now you've got an advisory council. So do you even have the capacity for it? Right. So I think those are all the questions I would, I would say for this 
for this person who asked this to ask themselves. Um, but I do think make sure you give, if you're going to go through the effort of creating this, then create a one pager, make it feel like a form, like it's an honor and it's a formal ask to be on this advisory council. And here's what that means. Two meetings a year for quarterly meeting, whatever, um, you know, ABC. Sometimes it's most people I see do it more as an extension of wanting to get the board members who are lacking on fundraising. So they create this advisory council to raise the money that the board isn't doing. And, uh, you know, I, whatever, I, that's a whole other episode probably. But <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I've seen I've seen it used um, for people that they've been asked to be on the board, but they were on too many boards already. So they've said no. And they said, well, can we put you on this other thing just so that your name shows up next to our name to make us seem more important? So they'll they'll do that. Absolutely. The other thing that I've seen occasionally used, which is you, know, you have to be really you have to do it in a in a really polite way, is that sometimes you want expertise, but you don't have room on your board to add that expertise. Absolutely. Um, I think, you know, you mentioned the millennial board. I have very strong feelings about that. I think that's um, I think most boards need to be thinking about getting those people on the board. Yes. So that yes. they actually understand the governance role and not having it be like the junior board where you don't have we just we just want to get you guys engaged, but we don't really want to give you any responsibilities that as a as a I'm not a millennial, but I have all of the attributes of a millennial that makes me feel really irritated. <laughs> like, right. So I feel sort of irritated on their behalf. Um, but if you need expertise in a particular area, it's OK to bring them onto committees. So if you have committees that report to the board, right, um, you're while the treasurer, for example, needs to be a board member, the rest of the finance committee doesn't have to be on the board. It can be other people that are just on Absolutely. the finance committee. You just have to be really um, polite about the way you ask somebody and say, hey, we want your expertise. We really need your help. Um, we actually don't have any room on the board right now, but we want to be able to get you engaged and, and let them know, if make, is this a path to being on the board? Mm -hmm. I mean, I, I'm thinking of really big organizations where the, there's like the $25,000 right. know, board commitment right. and where most people can't do that, but there's a way to engage without having to meet that commitment and still actually contribute and not just be, you know, somebody that just gets an update once a year. And you know what, in, you know, in addition to sort of having people maybe serve on committees, I also think the advisory council for some organizations is almost a, I've seen some groups use it as a testing ground before they get on to, before they're invited to get onto the governing board, right? Before they're recruited yeah. to do that. So that's another great vehicle for this. So I think there's endless opportunity. I also am super sensitive to the fact that people are already stretched thin and it takes capacity, right? It's, right. It, so, so really, I think being honest, I'd rather see a group not have it than have, you know, than have one and never do anything with it. Because yeah, what a wasted be, opportunity to be asked to be on some committee, advisory committee, and then never hear from them again. Yeah. That's, that's not good fundraising. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Hey, Stacey, you want to hear something cool? Yeah. Um, we have five five-star ratings on um, iTunes. Woohoo! <laughs> hey, so let's get some more. Thanks, guys. You did it. You got to the end of another episode of uh, Nonprofit Everything. We were really excited when we saw that. Um, send us your questions. Uh, if you haven't visited the Anne Wem page, please do that. If you are not a member of Anne, please uh, join Anne. We've got a bunch of cool stuff coming up. There's a bunch of member resources that are available for you. It's only $150 for your entire organization. There's really no excuse to not be an Anne member if you're a nonprofit in Nevada. Uh, they're doing some really cool stuff on your behalf up at the legislature right now, too. Um, so please do that, and uh, we will see you next time. Mm -hmm.